Like many of you, I've been a fan of Matthew McConaughey's work for a long time, all the way back to the Dazed and Confused days, and of course, my favorite movie of his, Interstellar, which he tells an incredible story on this podcast about. But I didn't really understand how much I really appreciated Matthew McConaughey, the man, until I read his new book, Green Lights. So this podcast is one of my favorite podcasts I've ever done, and I can't wait to share it with you guys. Our sponsors for this week are Tushy, my favorite butt-washing Tushy bidet, hellotushy.com slash amp, Lakanto monk fruit sweetener, lakanto.com, promo code amp, and of course, onit.com slash Aubrey for 10% off all the time for your human optimization needs. One of the really incredible things about Matthew McConaughey is that he's a person who seeks balance not by staying in a narrow band, just doing the simple routine every day. He'll go far out on the extremes, and that's something that I aspire to myself, whether that's spending a few weeks in a spiritual diet on the top of a mountain, or for Matthew McConaughey, maybe that was floating down the Amazon River or going to the Dagon tribe in Africa and at the same time, enjoying the carnal pleasures of being a human being. And he's not afraid of either of those. So we talk about all of the lessons from his life and just have a great time. I was sipping on a little whiskey, enjoying a conversation with someone that I admire, not only his professional work, but also the human being that he embodies. So I can't wait to share this podcast with you guys. Before we get started, a word from our sponsors. Our first sponsor is... Hello, Tushy. Now, you've heard me talk about it, and it's something that literally, like, this makes the biggest difference for me. When I go to somebody else's house to go to the bathroom, it's not that I'm, like, shy about pooping in someone's house. I will totally poop in your house. Like, I am not afraid of that. But it's just the hassle of not having my Tushy and then having to go wipe dry, wipe dry, wipe dry, and then hopefully the sink is close enough, and then I can get some wet ones, and I'll wipe wet, wipe wet. How we doing? All right, now dry off, wipe dry, and it becomes this whole process, and I'm just stuck in there, and then everybody in the whole party, they know I'm taking a shit, and it's like, oh, man, if I just had my tushy, I could just drop this beautifully shaped, hopefully, <laughs> but I could just drop that. I could run the tushy. I could basically just dry off at that point, check it out. Oh, it's all it's all toilet paper colored and clear. There's no brown streaks. Good to go. Pull up my pants, back in the party you know, shaking hands, kissing babies, doing all the things that I want to do. But no, that's not the way it is because not enough people have tushies. It doesn't cost that much money. Just put a tushy in your guest bathroom at the very least, even if you're not going to enjoy this technology that will change the way you go to the bathroom and give you a lot of convenience, comfort, cleanliness. I mean, do it for your guests. Do it in case I come over, you know, and I'm dropping a deuce in your bathroom so I can get in and out and back to enjoying myself. So check it out, hellotushy.com slash amp for 10% off your order. Once again, hellotushy.com slash AMP. Next, we have Lakanto, L-A-K-A-N-T-O, which is a monk fruit sweetener. Now, we all know that sweet things taste good, whether that's cookies or chocolates or whatever you want for your coffee or blended tea. But we don't want to put a bunch of sugar in there because then that sets us on this metabolic cascade where you get an increase in your blood sugar levels and then the body dumps a bunch of insulin, but it doesn't know how much insulin to dump. So then it dumps too much insulin and then you go hypoglycemic where your blood sugar gets low. And then what do you want? Well, you want more sugar. So you start this roller coaster. Nah, nah, fam. 
just have something sweet that doesn't have a bunch of sugar and Lakanto is that solution but not only that it's not just a sweetener that comes from a natural source it's also something that has been used for centuries as something that's actually healthful for your body to ingest so not only are you getting the flavor but you're getting the benefits of this traditional monk fruit what they call the immortals fruit because well metabolic health is important but there's also a bunch of other nutrients in there as well so i really encourage you guys to check it out especially if you're getting involved in any kind of baking the way that this monk fruit is actually crystallized allows it to be substituted for sugar in a really effective way so go to lakanto.com, use the promo code AMP, and you get 15% off all the monk fruit sweetener. lakanto.com, promo code AMP. And lastly, but certainly not leastly, we got new flavors of protein power puffs coming out from Onnit. And these flavors, these flavors are super legit. We got Korean barbecue and spicy cheddar. Now, I've probably talked to you guys about how my wife, Vailana, with the protein bites is just a fiend. We always have to have protein bites, whether we're traveling, whether we're at home, whether on it is out of stock, I'm rating whatever supply we have. I'm going to our product development head. I'm going to his desk. I'm hunting around for the new flavors always. But the protein puffs are the same, especially these new flavors. It's that delicious, savory snack that packs as much protein as having three eggs. And it's these delicious puffs that are super crunchy and just have all of the flavor that you really want. So when I'm in my own pantry, the protein power puffs, the protein bites, I mean, they're just a must have for me and something I think you guys are really gonna love. So check it out. It's made with milk protein isolates. It's gluten-free, it's keto-friendly, carb-conscious, of course. So it's just one of those things that you gotta try it and see if you like it. So give it a go, give it a try onnit.com slash aubrey that's o-n-n-i-t dot com slash aubrey and check out the protein power puffs and save 10 percent as always and now an uninterrupted podcast with matthew mcconaughey all right my brother let's matthew- start things off with a little gratitude prayer a little yeah man why not i tell people all the time i said look what if i'm not a believer i'm like hey man even just gratitude before a meal makes the food taste better, I promise you. <laughs> it's really true, right? And then you get even deeper. One of the greatest one of the greatest practices before a meal, one of the best opening prayers, it comes from a book, Island by Aldous Huxley. And he says, take the very best bite, put it on your fork. And when you eat that piece of food and you eat that combination of food, just enjoy it to the absolute fullest. Like swish it around in your mouth and just really savor every bit of that flavor because in that enjoyment, there's an inherent gratitude, right? Like like that's what we have here. And sometimes we'll just be so numb and so grayed out that we won't even see it. But to really feel it, like everything else will feel the gratitude if we actually allow ourselves to indulge in that bliss. Agree. The pleasure is good for you. It is. I'll tell you this, um, this story. I'm with, you know, the great director, Spanish director, Pedro Almodovar. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working on Tahir with uh, Penelope Cruz, and she's friends with him. And Breck Eisner was the director. And Breck, um, we, we were sitting at the, at, the, at the dinner table one night at this restaurant, and they had papas fritas, which is these French fries with fried eggs on top of it. Melted. Yes. Awesome, right? And... Um, Breck, the director of Salt, was like, oh, my gosh, this is like a heart attack waiting to happen. And Pedro, who's a real sensualist, leans over and he goes, Breck, the pleasure is good for you. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. And we deny ourselves that all too often, either because of some perceived morality that we have to live up to. But one of the beautiful things about, you know, your memoir that you wrote is that you really fucking lived, man. You like really, you didn't find balance by staying in a narrow band right in the center. You found balance by touching the extremes and going out like, what's the extreme over here? Okay, isolation, meditation, peyote in the cage of a mountain lion. What's the extreme over here? Okay, I'm gonna live at Chateau Marmont for 18 months and just fucking live like a wild man, you know? And you touched it and then ultimately came back and you know center through the polarity. And I think that's a hell of a story. Yeah, well, I've always been headed in in this in a general direction, but I've have lived and looking back, I've gone. Well, you know, I like to pick a direction and give myself sixteen lanes within which to swerve. Okay, so I give myself quite a few lanes to swerve as long as I'm headed in that general direction. And yeah, I have swung to the left and right and, and found the padding on the walls and was like, okay, that's 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 far enough over there. We're not going over, we don't want to go over the cliff. That's a stop, not a stay. Let's veer on back over here to the middle. Um, but yeah, I wanted to you know get test thresholds of certain things and. Uh, um, and see sometimes if I could grow from it. See, I always ended up growing from it and didn't notice it till later on in life sometimes, but just test it out and see uh, um, if I could find my slipstream in that place and come to a spot where I go like, you could do this for the rest of your life. Or no, you know what? This is just a stop, not a stay. This one doesn't have compounding assets in your future. You're going to be, this one doesn't have longevity. You know, I mean, my time at the Chateau Marmont was awesome, but I mean, that was talk about you know hedonism that that was my two-year hedonism tour i had a great time but i knew i knew it was a stop not a stay right like, yeah. yeah and you learn your boundaries by touching your boundaries and that was those are the chateau marmont is the type of boundary that it feels like we need to touch it just to know it just to have that lived experience of what that might be like so we don't have that voice in our head wondering oh what it would be like if i just took the fucking restraints off if i just unfettered myself and lived so we need to know that and then on the other side you know, doing some of these other practices, these solitude practices that you talk about, which I definitely want to get into more. There's some incredible lessons that come at the end of, of those things on the other side, those paths of, you know, quiet and stillness and solitude. I mean, those I've learned probably the most in my life from the more extreme end of those personal practices as well. Yeah. The, I think the scary part is, you know, say, if you're going to say a time of like, uh, my time at the Chateau or hedonism, it's, you could say that's, oh, I'm going to step outside of myself and, and embrace and engage and be that sensualist of all the things coming in. The fear can be, oh, if I really commit to this, will I remember that I have the key to unlock the door to go back and go back, you know? Right. So it's taken, uh, it, it was scary at times, but it's taken years to get to a place to trust that, no, no, no. I can kiss the fire and walk away whistling here. Just don't, don't, you know, I don't want to go looking for trouble. Um, I have before, um, but I've learned I don't want to go looking for the wrong kind of trouble. Um, but to then trust that I got the key to get back. And then those times in solitude, those are scary in another way because there's nothing extroverted at all about it. There is no outside engagement or frequency or pleasure at all. You're stuck with yourself. And that is a very restless place to be. Mm. So in that restlessness, can we trust no, sort of inversely trust. No, stay here. Stay here longer in the discomfort. Do not pull the parachute. 
Don't pick up the phone. Don't grab the bottle. Don't look for outer um, way, ways to, 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 to get a, a buzz in your life. Don't let yourself draw your attention off of yourself. And if you do that long enough, trusting I'll come out the other side of that without losing my freaking mind, which I've found we usually do if we stick with it. Yeah. I want to stick with this theme a little bit because there's a lot to unpack here. For one, you know, talking about the latter point that you made, you know, really sitting with yourself. So the most powerful practice I've done, I've done isolations and different spiritual dietas and different things. But the strongest is I spent six days in what's called a darkness retreat. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's complete isolation in pitch black darkness in absolute silence and absolute isolation. So it was like a bed and breakfast room that was kind of locked off. They delivered food in a blacked out hallway and I had no contact with anybody, no sound, no music, no nothing, just absolute pitch dark, like no difference from eyes open, eyes closed. Yeah. And that was a rowdy, rowdy self-introspection. That was rowdy, man. <laughs> Those are some long days, huh? Long. And you don't even know days, nights. Sometimes I could hear a rooster. Sometimes I could hear an owl, but you're not sure. You sleep when you want to sleep and then you're awake when you want to wake. But the trippiest part is there's an endogenous DMT release that happens around day three or four, sometimes day five, but it always happens everybody who goes through this. So I started entering a vision space similar to what the twilight of an ayahuasca journey would be like. And I was in vision space for three days on top of my isolation, on top of the darkness. So it's this radical alternate world where ultimately you start to understand who the essence of who you truly are is. And that is fucking invaluable. Like, however you can get there, you know, that's the thing that I think is one of the most important lessons we can give. Did you find that the re-entry back into society <laughs> that, that you're like, I know when I come back from my bullshit meter is at zero, <laughs> the mendacities that people speak or the way, or I notice like, geez, you talk way too much, McConaughey. You saying a bunch of too many adjectives, adverbs and noticing it from other people and just going, I had to really work on my patience with myself saying too much and other people saying too much. Uh, I just jabbering when I come out of those things. Did that, was that re-entry tough? All the re-entries have been tough, but none tougher than this. This, I felt like I was like a peeled onion. Like I had a nice, tough brown skin and most things would slide off and I could maneuver through things and they all didn't land. I felt like all the calluses were just worn off and everything was crushing, <laughs> you know? So, so if it was sad, it was devastatingly sad. If it was joyous, it was blisteringly joyous. If it was out of alignment or it had that frequency that was a little bit wrong, like you know, some kind of mistruth or manipulation, it was completely revolting and intolerable. And it was really hard. I actually, I actually lamented the fact that it was necessary for me to put back some armor because I just couldn't exist in the ordinary world as this newborn, you know, shucked oyster. I needed the shell. It's a different thing to say, I want to be a monk or I want to go on a retreat for a month <laughs> and come back, you know, um, because the easier thing to do would be to continue that once you got to that point, right? And probably yep. go into that, stay in that hermitage. Um, but then, yeah, to have the, it's a different thing. And we're all, I think, you know, I've had times where I thought monk was my calling, but I've talked to some monk friends of mine, some of them I speak about in the book, they're like, no, 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 you're supposed to be a, a communicator. You're supposed right. to be back and engaging and, and try to hold on to your path in the midst of that. Um, when at times it would be easier to go, no, the old hermitage sounds... <laughs> right on the money <laughs> yeah i feel that and one of the things that was expressed to me there's a catch word 
And the Quechua is one of the medicine languages down in South America. And it's, it's called Chakaruna and it means bridge. And one of the, you know, maestros told me, he's like, you're a Chakaruna, you're a bridge. You're the one who's supposed to take the teachings from this medicine, integrate them back into self and bring them out into the world. And it sounds, you know, very much the same as yourself. Like we're supposed to go touch these things and then write a memoir, do a podcast, talk about them and share the lessons from them. Because if we stay out there in the hermitage, you know, someone's got to go all the way on the track to go find that wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. So what about the other side though? And I want to share this poem you wrote. I love the poems you had. I mean, I was, I was really deeply impressed. You're an incredible poet and obviously your performance I expected to be great reading the book but the poetry really blew me away and so one of the things you said when you're talking about kissing the fire you said I swallow vitamins with a beer I do I chew more tobacco than I ought to I crawl around and chase the moon and sleep with women who ride in on brooms just so I can kiss the fire and walk away whistling Sometimes those lips have been chapped and that whistles like this. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. But there's, a, there's another aspect of trusting yourself in that, trusting your, your ability to go into those dark, you know, sticky places. Mm-hmm. And was that something that was, you, you had any intention behind like knowing that you needed to trust yourself to do it or were you just drawn to the fire? Well, I let my... The, you know, we all have the partners, I believe, that is drawn to the fire. But I decided to go, you know, it was, in, in, it was me testing out agnosticism as well. It was me at a time in my life, not as much trying to say, hey, I don't believe God exists, but me going, all right, big boy, self-determination, you got free will. Let's see, let's see how much you really got your hands on the wheel. Let's see how close you can go. Let's see how much you can swerve on these lanes. Let's see if you can do donuts in the middle of the <laughs> and come around to keep, keep heading the same direction. Um, so it was a bit of a challenge to myself. But I also, you know, wanted to bash through, wanted to get through a certain, maybe a, a two of a puritanical morality that I know I some, can sometimes carry. And mm-hmm. I wanted to say, no, no, wait a minute. Maybe you need to allow yourself to have a little more pleasure. Maybe some of that hedonism is is okay to allow yourself. So let's go test that because I am pretty disciplined and, 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 you know, grew up in a very, not puritanical, but very sort of rote and right. And this is what you do is what you don't do. Like I said, in the beginning of the book, I mean, I, I, I grew up being taught that you don't have premarital sex. And as I said in the book, I did, when I was 15. And at the time I was sure I was going to hell. And now I said, I just hope, but I'm sure that's not the case. You know what I mean? So, but I wanted to say, what are the, um, what, what if, what if, you know, you've worked here, go have, go have some, go have some rock and roll years. You've never lived in downtown Hollywood. You've always been on the outskirts. You've been in your airstream. You've taken a lot of solitudinal trips. Go right in the middle of it. Buy yourself a pair of leather pants and get your motorcycle. Go have your Jim Morrison years and let's go. And, you know, and then I said, oh, well, don't, you know, did I pass the year 27? Because that seems to be when they all, when they all <laughs> die. I said, I'm past that. So I don't have that little numerology I'm running from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I did it pretty healthily. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I got close, but I, but I, I went through it pretty doggone honestly. And I don't have really any bridges that were burned. I didn't mistreat anybody. No one got hurt. It was fun, but it was... Okay, that's what stopped us. Day two years of that was good. Tested that out, uh, enjoyed that. Let yourself say, "Hey, it's a Saturday. 
Hey, let's yeah. go have two years of Saturdays. Mind you, I worked during the time, made, made a couple of movies, but still I allowed myself to just have that point of view of like, forget responsibility for a minute. Jeez, your responsibilities are like, I'm getting tired of hanging out with you, Mr. Responsible. You know, so let's go just be in an arena where everyone's like, it's transient. What do you mean? It's, 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 it's a romantic version of what the 60s were like. You know what I mean? Let's just go there. Um, so, yeah. It seems important that, you know, we all have these prisons of conditioning that are thrust upon us. And that usually, you know, in a good natured way, certainly your family was impressing a lot of strong values and a lot of good morality and a lot. But there's prisons that come with societal you know, ideas and constructs and then the constructs of your parents and then your own, you know, proclivities that create these things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we just need to burst through these prison bars like juggernaut and say like, all right, if I, I don't want to be entrapped, I want to be free and to be free, I got to have enough momentum to carry me through these prison bars, demolish them. And then I can reclaim my own agency. Sure. And sometimes, I mean, I think it could be thrown in the version of, Hey, Go get it out of your system is a way, is a way that some people <laughs> phrase it. You know what I mean? And I have learned this, that if you don't, it's going to come out somewhere down the line, maybe in a more awkward way or a more tragic way. Um, you know, that that looseness of, of living and saying yes to so many things. And yes, I have more lanyap, more please, you know, double dessert, you know, of that. Um that's gonna, if you don't exercise that, and hopefully you can do it in a place where the walls are padded, you know, right. <laughs> so, you, know right. you gotta go into those with some, I mean, I put your helmet on, chin strap, and mouth guard, you know what I mean? Cause this, right. this, this, we're gonna be banging around here. Man. But if you can, you know, I've, I, it was, it was a great two years. I've had other times where even, you know, recently I'll go to my brother's ranch. It's 1600 miles, 1600 square, uh, 1600, yeah, what is it? 1,600 acres, excuse me. And it's in the middle of nowhere. And there's just no fence. It's horizon everywhere. I'm like, okay, let's forget the clock. I don't care about suns. Let's have our own six-day right. solitaire where you don't know if it's night or day. And whatever you want, you can have it. And let's just see. And you know what? You really can't. What's the worst that can happen? You're going to end up out in the middle of a field two miles from the place, lying in the middle of the desert. Well, okay. That's a form of a padded wall. You're not going to, you're, right. you're going to survive that. There's not a cliff to fall off of. You know what I mean? There's not, you're not in a bomb area. There's not too many rattlesnakes everywhere. So go ahead and let's not be concerned. Let's lose concern for a while and stretch out, you know, shake the city off of you is what my buddy, my good friend's housekeeper used to tell, tell us when we'd come home from a weekend of camping. She goes, Oh, you boys, we're not shaking the city off of you, huh? And you got to do it sometimes and sometimes yeah. in the city where you shake the city out of you. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a great idea to, for everybody to, to recognize is the ability to just allow yourself to be free. And sometimes it's the, the walls that could be spiky could be like a heroin wall. Like that's a spiky wall, right? So it's not even about just drunk driving and making sure that you're safe and making sure that no, you know, cop with a Marine haircut is going to body slam you for playing bongos, you know, a little bit later than you should. You know, those are kind of the walls that we all understand because we've been in that world, but there's just drugs you don't want to fuck with because they're too, they're too spiky, you know, and it's not worth trying to test that. Don't, don't test with that fire. That's like lava. You know, you don't want to kiss lava. There you go. That's in, you know, that's what I hear that there are some, uh, you know, some fights you don't want to pick, right? That you got to measure the risk versus reward. And that's what I mean by go. 
I think it's a good idea to choose once and choose places and times. Meaning, if it's going to be a big weekend with the buds, Vegas or whatever, right? Well, we're really going to do it. I don't want to. I don't want to have. I don't want to have to. I want my schedule to be clear until next Thursday morning. <laughs> yes. Want, not Monday morning. No, 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 no. If we're really going to do it. I'm going to still be in a condition that's going to carry in. And Monday's going to be tough. Tuesday's going to be tough. Wednesday's a little too soon, but Thursday after a few workouts <laughs> and being back, you know, uh, hydration, et cetera, then that'll work. But, but yeah, I like to measure when do you have a, a, a buffer, you know, where it's after you're going to let your freak flag fly. Give yourself another three, four, five days where you're like, ah, now let's let me come off of that and clean up. Um, you know, so yeah, picking those places out though, because you don't want to just go out and do them in the middle of society every day. Like we said, this society has spikes. Go mm-hmm. pick those fights. I've picked those fights, you know, and they didn't pay off the risk versus reward. I always say this, have a point to prove, but don't have to always prove a point. Well, I've had times in my life where I had to prove a point. I was like, well, hang on a second. You built enough in your life, but kind of, you don't need to be going around trying to prove points. You know what I mean? Take it easy on yourself. And if you need to, you go to your family and your good friends and go out there to that ranch and go have it out. Wrestling matches and all. Let's Valhalla this son of a bitch. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. You know, but pick a spot where the fire's not going to become a forest fire. Yeah. <laughs> pick a spot where those spikes aren't going to injure you. You may yeah. get bloody. You may get bruised. But let's, I think we can, I think we can go out there and, 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 and no one's going to have to go to the emergency room. That's what yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> I think for me, Burning Man was one of the, when I went to there the first time, that was a real experience of that because the party just goes nonstop and everything is, it's like every pleasure that you can imagine is permitted. You know, you can actually go and sit in meditation in the temple or go to the anal fisting tent a little bit farther down the, the hall and just whatever, the, whatever your, whatever your thing is, however you want to let your freak flag fly, you can just go and do it. Now I spent, you know, no time on really doing either of those two things. It was mostly just dancing and partying and being with my friends. But you also need that integration time like you're talking about at the end. And conversely, I've seen people run into the spikes doing spiritual practices. I had a, you know, a doctor friend of mine who's transitioning from Western medicine into a more holistic medicine practice. He decided he was going to do 40 sits of ayahuasca in 60 days. And that didn't give him enough time to integrate any of that. And it took him like two years living on the land in a clay hut that he built to just recover from that, right? So he pushed himself too far on the other side. Yeah, there, there was no demarcation on the trips. Yep. So yep. when he was done, 40 compacted days in 60 days, it took two years for that to unpack itself. Yep. Ah, okay. Interesting. Um. Yeah, so I think that all these lessons, that's what I love about your book is that the life lessons that you provide are like tangible. They apply and they apply in ways that, you know, people who haven't lived it, you just can't share that knowledge unless you've walked in that and like felt what it was like to book. Like if I tried to, you know, book a Burning Man, you know, book like a a podcast or something right after Burning Man, like that wouldn't work. 
You know, that's not going to fly. And if I try to go right back into work in a board meeting after coming back from the Peruvian jungle, that's not going to fucking fly. Like, learn these lessons. And if you read these lessons and you hear something like this, then maybe the first time you do it, you don't try to like run into this mistake. And that's just a little benefit. You might need to do the shit for yourself to really learn it. But at least like when it happens to you, you won't have to do it three times to learn the lesson. You'll just have to do it once. Yeah. Well, you know, as anarchist is our spirits want to be at times, you know, and this comes with age, but again, it goes back to that having a point to prove and not always having to prove a point, knowing which fights to pick. There's rules and expectations in society. Play the game, know your zone, have some context, give some structure to that, be aware of those things. Then you can find places where you can have your complete freedom. And I don't mean just times where we go off to the extremes. Then we navigate and through those things, rules, regulations, in ways that we're like, yeah, I get it. I'm with it. I understand why the rules are. Maybe yeah. I don't think it's applicable to me. But I understand why it's society. So I'm going to I'm going to abide by it. I'm not going to buck it because a lot of people need that rule. There's this guy. I, I go to Utah a couple of years ago, floating down the uh, we're, we're river rafting through Utah, you know, the huge canyons. And a river guide, you could just tell he he had a bit of a history. So I started, you know, middle-aged guy, about 35. You could tell he was a seeker and he had been lost before and was trying to find himself at this time. And I said, well, how long have you been here? He goes, well, I was here, you know, in Utah. And I was a river raft guide for about 10 years. And then I went off and he went off someplace, California somewhere. And he goes, I came back, I came back two years ago, two years ago to be river raft again. I needed, I go, what'd you, what'd you need? He goes, the walls. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Yes. Me, you, I got you. That open horizon in Southern California was, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Couldn't trust himself, was getting in. He needed the walls. We need some of us at all different times. We all do at different times that need certain boundaries to create our freedom. We talk a lot about that in different ways in the book of, of even times where I think it's good for us to create our own boundaries. Mm -hmm. you know, and have our own resistance for which to overcome. And then also times when we are running downhill, when we do love the open free horizon, how to not trip ourselves and create a wall where we don't need one because trust that, oh, the walls are coming. The resistance is coming. So I'm going to enjoy this freedom right now. You know, I'm running downhill. Don't trip myself because the uphill's coming, you know, so trusting in that as well, trusting in the times when things are going well. And you're feeling very free and good with yourself to trust that it's okay to feel that good and that free because the uphill's coming. It'll be there. Mm. You don't mm. have to create one, you know, but that seems to be an art with which way with which to navigate life in general. One of the pitfalls that I think we can all fall in is we'll mitigate the joy and the happiness and the bliss of when things are going good because we're preparing ourselves for that potential uphill climb that potential time where we run into that red light and things are not going well so we're like look don't enjoy this too much buddy because if you do the disappointment's coming so you're trying to protect yourself but that's absolutely the opposite way that you know a, a real warrior poet wants to live like if you want to live fully you can't be preparing for you know to mitigate the disappointment because the disappointment is going to be there anyways it doesn't help i, I, call, I call it uh anticipation fatigue mm -hmm. um if for instance if you and i are both runners and if i come for the first time to come run with you on your trail 
And I run, say I run five miles every day and you run five miles every day, but I've never run your trail. I will get more tired. I'll get tired more quickly running your trail because I don't know what's around the next bend. And at about mile three and a half, I'm thinking, man, maybe this is four and a half. The end coming up, it's bound to be around the next corner. Uh, and all of a sudden I'm over fatigued, much more fatigued than if I had to run the five miles on my track, because I know I got a feel for when my five miles is up. Mm. We do that in life where people do it right now with, with COVID. If, if, if you, if people are hopping up at night, going to bed every night thinking tomorrow morning, maybe we re-engage tomorrow morning, it's gone. And you wake up the next morning. Oh, no, it's not. But tonight again, I go oh, tomorrow morning. Oh, no, it's not. You're wasting about 30% of your energy getting thinking that, oh, tomorrow might be the day. The end line might be there. The outcome might be there. Where if we do the opposite and try to project further out, like for run five miles, but get in our mind that it's actually a 10 mile run, all of a sudden you just breeze across the finish line and go, oh, shit, I was ready to go for another five. You know what aim, I mean? Aim to shoot through the target. That's one of the things you talk the about. the other side of it, you know? Yeah. Um, and our survival mechanisms set on a cellular level, I think, come to fruition in those times. Because um, we're calling them out by mentally preparing that, oh, this is going to go on longer than I thought. I know the best work I've done in my job as an actor are times, man, where I'm so in the process that on the last day of filming, when they go, that's a wrap, I go, okay, I'll see you all tomorrow morning. And they go, no, no, no. There is no tomorrow morning. That's a film wrap. We are done. I'm like, oh, really? You know, or if you're a golfer, the best rounds I've ever had, or I've ever seen people have, was when they're walking off the 18th green, ready to go to the next tee box. And they're told, no, that the round is over. You shot 68. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> but if you start thinking on tee box 16, oh, I'm one under, I'm in the lead, you might have a bogey coming up. Yeah, you. There was a, there's a great... You know, you talked about that when the Bills went into a prevent defense playing against the Houston Oilers, right? That always that always was that thing where they were thinking so much, focusing so much on that end point of winning the game that they forgot to play the same way they played. They held the they Bills to three on points. Not losing that game instead of winning that game, which is that sort of that, you know, not going, not doing what you can in the affirmative to get what you want, but actually get on your heels to play defensively to protect what you don't want to happen, to protect yourself from not. And that's not an affirmative. We don't, we don't go to that. It's the difference of running away from something or running to something, you know? And it, I think it's a good practice when we can to always go, okay, I may be wanting to hide out or maybe wanting to run away from this thing, but I at least need to figure out what I'm running to. And I've felt that, you know, that was a lesson my mom gave me earlier. I was a basketball player, but she was a professional tennis player, made it to semis of Wimbledon, so had a lot of experience. And there's a funny thing that happens when you're playing tennis, when you get to, you know, you have, you've won the fifth game and you're one game away from winning the set or winning the match. You start thinking about the winning of the match or the winning of the set rather than that next stroke and just playing the game. Like, can I rip this forehand service return right down the line and fucking wink at him? Yes. You know, like, can I do that? One and if you could do that, rally. yeah, exactly. And, and then just, happens. yeah, you fucking rip it. You know, if we, when you can do that, when you can do that, you're playing. And that's like that Michael Jordan, where right before he's about to tear your heart out, he just gives you a smile. Like I've already seen the ending to this movie, motherfucker. And it's where it's, it's a good ending, you know? And that's the, that's the thing that we want to be in. Cause he's playing the game, like through the end of the game, 
you know? And that's the thing, rather than just focusing so much and getting that paralysis of worrying about the result. Do you notice though, because I because I call this playing in the third person or or you know, and today with social media and 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 and, and phones and you know, we 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 the world is more a mirror for us than ever before. True. Uh, we even to a certain extent have our own sense of self-worth based on what millions of strangers say about us with a thumbs up or thumbs down or comment. So I say this with, 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 with athletes, you got to watch playing in the third person. You got to watch because the world, the jumbotron's there. The player that's running the kickoff back for the touchdown can look up at himself on the jumbotron. How am I looking? And right about that time is when you're going to get caught. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if we can be more subjective and stay in the process of the doing and then let them come up and go, game over, 48-7, match over. You just won the fifth set tiebreaker. I did. I was ready for the next set. That seems to be the honey hole of if we can stay present and stay subjective. Or like you're saying, have such supreme confidence like a Michael Jordan where you're able to look at the jumbotron, look outside yourself and go, watch this. I already know I'm making the shot. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But a lot of what happens is we get tight by getting outside of ourselves going, oh, what if I miss the shot? Oh, do, am I going to get the ball at the end of the game? I'm not sure I want. Oh, boy, don't, don't, don't pass the ball to that guy. You want fight, you know, you want, you want the ball. But we don't always in life want the ball. We may tell ourselves arrogantly like that, hey, no fear which I think is a bunch of BS. I'm saying, yes, fear. <laughs> Absolutely have fear. What's cool is overcoming that fear. Um, but, and then that's how, how we see it. You know, if you can overcome that, go, no, I do want the ball. Yeah. To such an extent that you don't even have to think about it. Yeah. There's a, it reminds me actually of, can you talk about this also in the book, which is great. And I'm sure you have a lot better examples than me, but I was a, uh, I got into stage acting when I was in college and the city of Richmond collaborated with the university of Richmond and we, they put on some big plays and it was the first play I auditioned for. And I just went out there. I had no fear because I'm not, I didn't identify as a stage actor. It didn't really matter. And it was a musical and I can't sing worth a damn. Like I have no, I have no business singing at all. And I just went out there and I tried out for this part. It was a cool part. It was like a warrior and Bertolt Brecht's mother courage and uh, the character was Iliff, and I just fucking let it rip. Like I moved chairs aside, I was jumping on boxes, I was like bellowing and just having a blast. And then at the end, she was like, can you sing? And I was like, I don't know. And she's like, sing happy birthday. And I just fucking let it rip, it was awful. But she's like, we'll figure it out, like you got the part. And then, so then I went out there and it was a great experience. I tried out for my next play, but now I was thinking maybe I'm an actor, you know? And to make it worse, the part I was going out for, was already like already cast with a girl that I was really into, Sally Metzel. I was obsessed with Sally Metzel. So not only did I want to get this part, because I wanted to have this romantic scene with Sally Metzel on the stage and rehearse it all the time where we do a rehearsal kiss and get it in. And I just totally blew it. I just totally choked it. You know, and it was and and that was just such a great lesson of like part one, I'm free. I have no restraints and I just let it rip. Part two, I wanted it so bad. And it reminds me of what you said about Hollywood. You can have anything you want as long as you don't need it. And I needed the part the second time. The first time I just wanted it. 
Right. Well, you know, we don't any performance right now, life, which, you know, where you go from here or performance on stage. Um, it's okay to, you know, want to do well so you can get the kiss, <laughs> but you ain't getting the kiss. If you're thinking about the kiss. <laughs> yes. While you're performing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? And it's called, it's a little bit of that, again, back to trust, trusting. No, if I just stay right here and stay in the moment and do this for myself, I'll get, I have a better chance of getting the result that I want. I'll, I'll get that kiss, you know? Um, but that's a, that's a tough thing. That's, that's also trust. You know, I've gotten a lot more, I've gone between this. Look, sometimes I'll write the headline. This is what I want. Put it out there, project it. And then, live the story towards that and show up and go, damn, that headline still holds. Mm. Other times I've been like, no, I don't give a damn about the headline. Put my head down process. I don't give a damn about the result. I'm just going to stay in the middle of this process and work my way freely through it. And those are the times where I've actually gotten some of my best results when I didn't give a damn about the result or wasn't going, I'm going to do really good here because no, I'm just going to do and be true here. And what the fuck happens, happens, man. Yeah. You guys recording this? You know, just make sure that. Are you recording this? Make sure it counts because I'm in the zone. You know what I mean? You know? I'm going to yeah. say that one time before we start shooting. The next 30 days, I'm not going to talk to anybody, but I hope you're catching it. You know what I mean? That's the best work that I've done, you know, to stay in the process. And I finally right. do get more results sometimes when you don't think about the results. Absolutely. Was there a, are there moments? I, I remember a story from James Earl Jones. He was playing Othello, and one night he played Othello, and everything was just magic, and he was just on fire. And the story is that when they went back to the dressing room after the play, he was not talking to anybody and seemed somewhat despondent. And someone's like, "What's wrong? You just you just gave the most magnificent performance we've ever seen." And he was he was troubled. He's like, "I just don't know how I did it." Like, I don't know what happened. I don't know how I reached this, this next level, this next gear. And that was something that was at that point perplexing. I think, you know, most likely that's just divine grace coming through you when you completely empty out and those things happen. When you look back at your career acting, you've had some amazing performances. Are there moments, are there times that you think like this time was particularly special? And if you have those moments, like what do you think was the quality that led up to that? I've done it long enough now that when I'm on it, that sort of objectivity and subjectivity, I know mm. that, that was true. That was true. That was great. I don't even need to look at the take. I'll look up at the director and go, <laughs> no, no, then you say, because when you, if you say it out loud, part of what James Earl Jones was doing, if you start to figure that thing out, yeah. it can pop the magic bubble to name it. You know what I mean? I always say this on sets, people, when we're, when we're acting, people can talk about what the scene's about for too much. And you're kind of like, shh, our version of communication is to do it between action and cut. That's our communication with the director. Mm -hmm. But I will say this, how have I had, what have I done? I've found tools and habits with which I was consistently practicing that by sheer numbers, mathematics, scientifically led to more of those moments via preparation via knowing how to prepare all the work. I, I do all my work 
before I get to the set. That's my that's my late night sweating. Oh shit! I don't know what I'm going to do with this. Oh, I'm not going to pull this off. I don't. Blah, blah, blah. Stay with it. Stay with it. Months of that, and then so so if I do the good work, I show up on set. I'm playing now. All that throw it out. My playbook's gone because hopefully, if I've done my work, I've integrated it past my intellectual mind into my being, where it's instinctual, and that takes pro. That's a process of preparation. Um, that I've found has led to more of those moments where I'm like, oh, yeah, you hit that one. <laughs> Ruse. Yeah. And are there, but are there any of those? So let's take that as a category where you know you're on it. And I love that you used that word. That was the name I named my company for exactly that same reason of just being on it, right? And, and reaching that potential. Of those moments, were there those moments where there was just like, there was on it plus, it was like, I'm on it, and also I felt the hand of the divine like, am, you know, like animating my whole emotional, physical, mental body in such a way that this was, this was something that I'll always remember. I mean, I've had moments where – I mean, in part and parcel, those are those same moments, meaning mm-hmm. – where I just said, oh, I'm on it, and I know when I'm on it. And I said that word, no. I mean, knowledgely, I've come to the conclusion. But it's a belief. I feel it. It's coming from the feeling. It's not coming from the knowing first to then know that I felt it. No, I felt it, therefore I know. Yeah. So it's that feeling of, you know, uh, when I do my best work, I'm not saying I don't have the thing memorized. I do because I've read it a thousand times. I broke it down. I know exactly what I'm saying. But on the day, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say. But I'm seeing a picture in my mind and saying what I see in the picture. And then you respond. And I see a picture in my mind. And I tell you what I saw in the picture. So it is a bit of an out-of-body, inner-body sort of r- relationship there. Um, you know, the, 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 the on it plus, I don't know. I don't know about on it plus I do know on it written in a marker and on it in neon lights and on it solar powered. (laughs) Yeah. Well said, well said Um, mistakes, you know, ones that you go, Oh no, that transcends. Oh no, that was other. That was so, that was so, on it that it's it was the on it and other than right it was all of it it's like where you can feel the ripples that have just gone out into the world even though the ripples haven't happened yet you know it's like yeah, you know and, you and, did and something and it's undeniable and if anyone's not trying to fight against receiving it they're like <laughs> i don't even say anything yep moving on yeah you know um i tell you for me here's 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 where i've had some of those moments in filming and they've usually been some different emotional scenes like a uh, um a time to kill the final summation or even there's a scene in interstellar where my character cooper sees his kids after you went to the watery planet and lost those 30 years I w- that was the scene i was going to mention because that scene is one of the most powerful scenes i've ever seen any actor portray in any movie ever and i'm not saying that lightly because we're doing a podcast it's legitimately one of the most powerful scenes ever I've ever seen. Well, I go to tell you a little secret about both of those scenes. Um, for both of those scenes, when I showed up on the day, the director goes, okay, 
we're going to shoot the wide shots first and reactions and, and stuff, let you warm up and get into it. And I didn't look at the director either time. I had a note written in my hand that I quietly just without looking at him, because I don't want to look him in the eye. I don't want to, I don't want to step outside of myself. And then on the, on the note, it says, see you, which is the letter C and the letter U, which means close up. And each time those directors, instead of going, wait, are you sure or whatever? They just kind of in the same cadence to the crew as they read that. And they were like, actually, you know what we're going to do? We're going to line this up. We're going to be a close up on Cooper. Set the cameras right here. We're going to do this. And each one of the takes in those two movies are the very first take. Why? Because in some ways, everything after take one is acting. <laughs> so I'm saying, okay, all I got to do is relax, understand the context of who I am and who I'm seeing in my children or what story I'm telling in the summation. And if I can relax myself enough to be in the moment, see the picture, say and feel how I feel about it. Whatever happens, no result. No, not, you don't have to do anything. Tell me, you don't have to do anything in this scene, Matthew. Just listen and feel. Well, then I'm reacting for the very first time. So like, for instance, in Interstellar, no one wanted to show me. Let's rehearse it. I'll show you. I said, no, 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 no. And he knew by me that meant, no, no, first time. I don't want to see it. Hmm. I want to be surprised. I don't know what the videos are going to be. I want to see it for the first time and react for the first time. Now, Good actors can improve a performance or make it seem more true to the viewer on take two, three, four, five, six, seventy-two. But it's all acting after take one. <laughs> and so that's what I like to get in a place where I feel comfortable enough to know my man, my character enough to go. It's all it's uh, there's only one take. It's first take. And that's the only time it's ever truly live. Mm. Everything after that is Memorex. And hey, I love Memorex. And I've improved many a performance on take four and take eight. Okay, yeah. I have. Yeah. Take one's the real one. That's the one where you go, yep, <laughs> the present. Yep, that's all we need. Moving on. Yeah, and you can feel it. You know, you can really feel that. You can feel that moment. There's, you know, that's, I think, the beauty of acting is it's, it's, it's real. There's certain times where it's real. I and mean, it also brings me to this other idea. So, I trained with a Siberian mystic for a short amount of time. And one of the exercises she had us train was to go, we go around and circle in a game and we would just practice going from emotion to emotion. It's very much like an actor's game. Now you're really sad. Now you're really happy. Now you're jealous. Now you're surprised. Now you're enraged. Now, and you'd go through and try to practice this. And the point was to give you agency over your emotional body so that your emotional body wasn't steering you, you were, ste- you were able to steer it. So if you found yourself in a position where you're getting really angry, what the Buddhists call shempa, that hook, you know, you have the ability to say, oh, no, 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 I've trained how to steer this emotion of anger into another emotion. As a trained actor like yourself and a practiced actor, have you ever used some of these you know, techniques you have to say like, wow, I'm feeling kind of depressive now, or I'm feeling really agitated now. Let me just use my craft and change my emotion as a little temporary red light to get myself out of this space, to give me a little different purview or perspective on the situation. I don't think so. I know what I'm, I mean, I think the way I've approached acting is maybe an inverse of that. I mean, I don't want to 
I do. I think I'm a better actor when I'm not trying to control my emotions. When I'm actually going again, you don't have to do anything. Wherever you feel like going, ride it. Ride the ride in the scene or out of the scene, or blow it up, or go with it and let it be magic. No, 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 no rules to it. Let's listen and see what happens. Let's know who I am, what the obstacle is in the situation. What do I need? How can I overcome that obstacle? Because every scene and 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 also then saying. Because I'm very good at blowing through obstacles. I'm very good at blowing through the yellow light and saying, I'm not giving crisis credit. And it's been a, it's been a, uh, an asset for me in many ways in life. At the same time, in acting, I've learned, and this, my great mentor of mine, Penny Allen, taught me, he's like, look, you got to give more credence to your obstacles. Because what they will do is give you more to overcome, and overcoming them will give you more gratification or not overcoming them will cost you more. So you need it to cost you more. Every choice you're making, ask yourself, does it cost you? So when I look at a script, I'm going, I love scripts and have for the last 14 years of dramas usually that go, oh, huh, th- 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 this is costing my character. This mm. choice and this thing cost, if it, if it doesn't go this way, my character may die or you know whatever, whatever, that, whatever the consequences may be. Or if, if, he, if, if I can overcome this obstacle, it may be the greatest, truest victory for this character can have. And I got to pull that off because, yeah, it's written, but the words don't make the audience believe it and go, yes, I believe he did that. Wow. I see myself in that, which is that's when the communication through the art that I do as an actor starts to really translate and communicate with people. If you can see yourself through a character, that's our favorite characters. Or you can go, oh, I know that guy. Or I know that part of myself when I was that guy. Or, oh, that's the guy I'm working to be. That's when that communication and, and good, that's, I think that would be a difference between art and self-expression. I love that line. I believe there's a difference between art and self-expression. And if there wasn't a difference and you said, well, all self-expression is art, which I've heard people say and I disagree with, I'm like, well, as my buddy Nick Pizzolatto says, well, then, okay, then every 12-year-old girl's diary is as good as Shakespeare. No, it's not. <laughs> You know what I mean? There's a difference between art and self-expression. So every, all of self-expression is not art, but all great art, I do believe, is self-expression. Delivered in an artful form that communicates and the viewer can subjectively see humanity in that performance. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's interesting you, you were talking about these personally meaningful costs because in that scene that we're talking about with Cooper, one of the things that was instilled in you from the family, number one, you knew you wanted to be a father. Number two, one of the highest values that you could have is time. So all punishments in your family were immediate and then over with because time was instilled as the greatest value. Well, what did Cooper lose? What was the cost? It was time with his family, you know? And that is like a deeply personal thing even to you, which then elicited, you know, a deeply personal performance which was you know created the created that you know kind of incredible moment and then going to what you're saying you know at the end there it's really uh it's the lesson from brother christian in your book where you were going through a lot of different challenges and experiences and i'll I'll let you kind of take over this story about how you kind of unloaded all of your all of the things that were on your mind and, and what he said and how you know that made you feel a little less alone Oh, yeah, it's a beautiful story, beautiful time happening in my life. So I'd just gotten famous after Time to Kill opens up. The world had become a mirror. 
I'm meeting no strangers. People are coming up going, I love you. And I'm like going, who are you? I've only said that to like four people in my life. People going, going like, I'm so sorry about Miss Hud. And I'm like going, wait a minute, what's your name? How'd you know I had a dog? How'd you know her name was Miss Hud? And how'd you know she just got cancer? You just skipped four things and came right into my life and said, you know? So I was like, whoa. I was getting offered all kinds of roles and offered all kinds of things that I'd never been offered before. And I needed to go away and sort of let all this immediate frequency of affluence that was coming at me sort of just become discriminant in that discerning. Wait a minute, what matters? What doesn't? Who am I in the midst of this? The, the roof of possibilities just got blown off of my head and it's wide open and I, my feet do not feel like they're on the ground. So I went, I need to take some time out. I need to take a walk about. And I found this monastery in, in New Mexico that said, basically, if you can get off this Highway 21 and someone drops you off, it's a 13 and a half mile walk down a dirt road because it's not, road's not in good enough condition to handle a car. But if you can walk 13 and a half miles, ring the bell, we'll find a place for you to sleep. I'm like, that sounds like what I need. So I get dropped off by a friend, walk that 13 and a half miles, show up at about sunset. Brother, uh, Alred, I think it was, comes out, young monk, about five foot two. Hello, brother, fellow traveler. Welcome, come in, da, da. Find me a place to sleep, I sleep on a cot. The next day I wake up and um, I go to the brother Alan. I say, look, there's someone I can talk to. I got things in my mind. I'm feeling, I'm trying to make sense of the world myself, things I'm feeling guilty about. And he said, you know, this man, Brother Christian, would be a good man for you to talk to. So Brother Christian and I go for a walk together through the desert. And I start unloading, confession, really. It's just unloading sins of my mind, sins of my deeds, thoughts, confusions, all these things that I'm feeling just lost and sad and angry and confused about and they're going with myself and with the world I'm in trying to figure it out. And I'm, we walk for four hours through the desert and the entire time he had his hands behind his back, head down, just listening intently. And I've not stopped talking four hours. We end up back after four hours sitting on this little bench outside the chapel and I'm finishing my purge to him, my verbal purge and confession. And I'm crying, man, and I got snots coming out of my nose. <laughs> He's listening. I finally finish. Four hours and 20 minutes later, he hasn't said a word. I'm sitting there. Silence. He says nothing. About 15 seconds go by, and I got him. And I look up at him. As I look up at him, he looks at me and he goes, me too. <laughs> oh, oh, it was so beautiful. I crumpled, man. I was like, because he didn't give me advice. Yeah. He let me know, hey, it's part of the human condition. And it just sort of let the floodgates open on me to forgive, uh, to see reality better. And it was two beautiful, simple words. And the only two words he said, and that's, you know, it's, it's so true. Sometimes in life, we don't want to hear advice. We just want to know that, hey, we're not the only one. I think more often than not, that's what we want. You know, I mean, that is the, that is actually the etymology of compassion. It's to be with someone in their suffering and to be with them is to say like, no, I'm with you. I am you. You know, that's the, you know, talk about being with somebody, be, I am you, you know, like I've, I am you, like you're, we're the same. And the more that we can do that, you know, it really is just 
such a valuable gift that we can give to anybody. We're always too busy trying to fix things from our position of, you know, to fix somebody else, you have to put yourself in a position above them and say like, well, I can, but if you just say, no, first of all, first step, me too. And then from there, what do we want to do? You know, like, what do we want to do about it? Out of this together. Exactly. And it just changes the whole, it changes the whole thing because a lot of times when someone's in that position of hierarchy, you're like, no, nah, fuck you. You know, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm going through. I'm not going to allow you to pull me out of this. Maybe it's our own need to do it. But if someone's down there with you right there in the trenches saying, yeah, me too. What should we do? <laughs> you know, how, how are we going to go about this? How can we walk out of this? Yeah. You know, and sometimes I realized this the other day and I think when I put it in words is that I find that what I don't like in someone else, the reason I may not like someone else or something is because I see a part of me in them that I don't like mm. or a part of me I've been that I did that I no, I don't I didn't I didn't like that. I, I, I kind of regret that if I could I have a do over that part of me, I'd love to do that over. Sometimes that's it, too, that our snap reaction that won't allow us to go. Me too. It's just almost a defense mechanism. Like I'm not, if I say me too, that's admitting that that's part of myself and I don't want to admit that. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. so sometimes it's a snap reaction when actually what they're offering is a bridge, as you said earlier. Yeah. The uh, Hawaiian kahunas have a, have a phrase called ho'oponopono. And the way that they go about it is anything that anybody is ailing, you know, there's a legend of a Hawaiian kahuna that cleared out a mental hospital because he would go in there and no matter what someone was going through, the paranoia, the delusions, the anger, the rage, whatever, he would find that in himself. And this is just a legend, but he would find that in himself. And that's the art of the Ho'oponopono, find that in himself, forgive that, love that aspect of self. And then and without doing anything to the other person, just be in their presence, finding and identifying whatever they're going through as self, and then applying that love and forgiveness to self, then whatever forces are at work in this wild universe, we're actually manifesting the healing. And you lead me into a a wonderful topic. I'd love to hear what you think about it, and we should at least discuss it, because I'm all for it. Although my pastor says I'm pushing a big rock up a tall hill. (laughs) I'm a big fan the word selfish mm-hmm. i think it, everything has to be personal and we see a contradiction usually in selfish selfless responsibility freedom wants needs but they're not i don't believe they are i believe they're a paradox that there is a place where what's best for i is best for we or what's best for you is best for me what's best for we is best for me what is the most selfless act is the most selfish act, which is the most selfish act is actually the most selfless act where mm. what we want is what we need. And what we need is what we want, where we walk by the mirror and we look as good as we feel. And we actually feel as good as we look. <laughs> you know, that place is what I'm calling the honey hole is. Yeah. And we don't that we see them as contradictions, but it's OK to go. It has to be very personal. It actually needs to be very personal. And every decision we make should be very personal. And that does not mean it's at the exclusion of being the best decision for the most amount of people. Because I would say this, if I'm going to lie, cheat, and steal right now, that would be what we sort of traditionally call selfish act. Well, you looked out for yourself right there, and that's all you you cared about. But is it really selfish? I don't think so, because haven't I left crumbs now in my future, created yellow and red lights in my future, because everywhere I got to go, 
I got to look over my shoulder to see if the people that I lied, cheat, and stole from are there. So therefore, now I'm stealing my future time from myself, which has caused me to stress. I'm having to leave people. What did what, what, you say? I'm sorry. I was looking for something. I'm not present. Oh, I got to leave this place. So-and-so is mm-hmm. here. All of a sudden, I'm stealing my time to bring time back. I'm stealing my time for my future. So what was really more selfish act? Yeah. I would say that was not a selfish act, truly. It was actually it was short si- short-sighted act. Short money. Yeah. So short money and long money. And if we can have the patience and the sort of wherewithal to go, you know, yeah, to lie, cheat, steal right now is an immediate green light. Yeah, but it's battery powered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. What are the moves that we can make that create the solar-powered green lights in our future, that create more freedom for us in our future? That have us where we don't have to look over our shoulder in the future and steal our future time. That's the lights that I'm interested in. Yeah, well said. I, I think it reminds me of the quote that Rumi had. I am not a drop in the ocean. I am the ocean in a drop. Sure. And when you realize like that you are interwoven and indispensable from the collective you are a part of the collective then the most selfish act is going to be the act that benefits the good of all that is the par el bien de todos that you know we uttered in the prayer to start this it's recognizing i am the all so my actions in the good in the service of the all are going to be the best actions and sometimes that requires and almost always that requires that i take care of me first you know so that i can be this cup that overflows and people can drink not only from the cup, but from the saucer of, of what, I'm, you know, what I'm overflowing. Otherwise, you'll just get drained. And then in that empty cup, that dry well may not be able to serve anything. You know, it's, a princ- it's a principle I have for, uh, you know, I lead a community. We call it fit for service. And the reason why we call it fit for service is because it's focused on the self, getting the self ready, fit, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually to serve. But it starts, starts with numero uno. Yes, Yes, and I think we get we more of us can take ownership of that fact. Mm-hmm. I do believe it's a fact. I don't think it's just a another way. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, even you know, people don't want to go defend themselves, a household, a community, a town, a city, a state, a nation, a people until it's personal. The enemy starts trespassing across your onto your property. That's when we get off the porch. Yeah. Yeah. Before that happens, we 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 talk a good game. We write about it and intellectually put it out there and talk about the platitude of why it's right to go out and defend what you love. We don't really do a damn thing about it until it's personal. And I think that's something that we more of us can own and take, make sure it's personal. Get more selfish in that way. Yeah. You know, going back to movies, which are one of the great storytelling platforms that we have right now, I think about two movies that highlight the difference between the personal investment. So there's Braveheart, which is, you know, basically a two and a half hour you know, revenge orgy, but that needs to get set up by your love for Murrin, William Wallace's, you know, first wife. You have to love her so that when, you know, the English slit her throat, you want the death of all English at that point. Like you are invested, personally invested. And there was another movie that didn't do so good. It was, I think it was Clash of the Titans 2 on the, on the remake of that. The opening scene is, you know, the gods come and they destroy a ship that has a family. Well, you haven't even met them yet. 
you know so it's like well that's unfortunate the 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 waves came and they killed this ship but you didn't know them you didn't love them so then the next two-hour revenge orgy against the gods you're like all right you know whatever man and you never like got never got drawn in because it wasn't personal like you didn't feel it yourself yep got to whether it's that you know time cover of the of the little girl i forget what was the war she was in with the beautiful eyes yeah go it made it personal everybody saw their daughter they saw their their wife their sister themselves in that girl personal it was it made it very personal we thousands of unnamed people can get bombed or die of a plague in other countries and we're like oh that's so sad but one person that we know in our neighborhood or maybe it's someone in our family can get harmed and then we're taking action and it may be they may have been harmed by the exact same thing that those thousands were but we didn't really do anything about it until it was personal and i'm not saying that's wrong i'm just saying let's own up to that and make it personal yep and look around and see that it is actually personal swim with the current of our natural human nature instead of just imagining that we should be better oh you know we should care about that as much as all right, let's just recognize who we are. We're human beings that have, we have a tribalism that's ingrained within us. And we have, we can't care about everything. There's just too many factors. So let's, if we choose to make something personal, we choose to get in there and get wounded, take a, you know, lose a little blood, you know, get a bloody nose and like, okay, now I'm in the fight. Like now you woke up the dragon, but to wake up the dragon, we don't need to run away. Just put ourselves in the position where the dragon can be woke. And then at that point, you've really activated yourself into the game. Heard. And, and I think on top of that, that another reality that I, I think we, we, we should all in each own up to more is that we aren't going to create a utopia. There's never going to be perfect justice in America or the world. We're never going to be our best selves. And that's cool. But we got to just stay in the race and commit to the chase of getting a little bit better. And in that is evolution, ascension, quality, lineage, building up. I'm becoming more, a little bit better. And if we can just kind of shake hands with becoming a little bit better individually, if enough of us individually look in the mirror and say, I'm going to be a little bit better today. That's how we make the collective change. And if we can do that and say, I'm going to be a little bit better. And that's as good as it gets. And that's badass. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. One of the things that, you know, I knew about you before Greenlights, which I didn't know much about your personal life other than you lived in Austin. And, you know, I was around at the time where they made those bongo t-shirts and, you know, I was, I was around here for all of that. So I knew a few things, but I remember I watched a speech and it was in this speech where you talked about who your hero was. And how your hero was the self 10 years from now. And it was one of the most inspiring speeches. And if you could, for people who haven't heard, you know, talk about that concept because there's, there's a real beauty in that, in that idea of who your hero was. I, I said, um, I think in my life, I need someone to look up to, someone to chase, and something to look forward to. And there's someone to chase. I said, thank you to my hero, which is me in 10 years. And I will never catch my hero because tomorrow he's not nine years, 364 days away. He's 10 years away again. <laughs> and he's always 10 years away with every coming hour and day. 
so I will never catch him. But boy, I get to chase him. And so whether we call that our transcendent selves, our better selves, it's, yes, it's a projection. It's writing a headline first to then pursue and update that headline because I might have already caught, I'm 51. I could argue I've caught my hero, who my hero was when I was 41. But my hero is still at 61. <laughs> he's mm -hmm. a new hero. He's a more evolved hero, hopefully. But he's always moving 10 years further. Um, and that, to me, seems to be as good as it can get for us. If we choose to say, I want to have meaning in life. I'm interested in interrogating and investigating the one person I can't get rid of, me, which each of us can say that. And what more entertaining story to tell that we are each individually the author of our own. If we can just get a little bit better, a little more true to who we are. And if you don't like the word better, which some people are like, I don't like better or worse, it would be fine. Then just say true. A little more true to ourselves, a little bit more each day, chasing that with which we see as our transcendent self down the line. And maybe, maybe 10 years is too far out for some people. For some people, it needs to be, oh, who am I going to be tomorrow? That's as far as some people can go. Mm -hmm. For other people can go, 10 years isn't enough. I want to go to my eulogy and say, what's that story that's going to introduce me forever when I'm gone? Let me chase that down. And you could argue some people go further than that and go transcendently past that, past this lifetime. But put a marker out there. You know, we, 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 we know and then trust that it takes work and maintenance. Architecture is a verb is one of my greatest African proverbs, they told me. And they, 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 they told me it. I was on the, on the banks of the Niger River and these bozo fishermen build these beautiful mud huts on the river. And then every year, certain wet season, the rains come, the waters rise, whoop, wash them away. And they're gone. So they move to the highlands. And then as soon as that season's over, three months later, they come back to the ground, back to the river's edge and build them again. I'm not going, what? I think they stay up there. They're like, no, they're fishermen. But they rebuild this thing. And my buddy, my guide over that time, Isaac, interrupts me. He goes, architecture is a verb. <laughs> Life is a verb. Mm. And we're the architects. You know, or if you're a believer, God's the architect and we're the construction. But however you put it, it it's a verb. <laughs> and all too, all too often we get too attached to these sandcastles. You know, we're too worried about these, these things that we're always building on low tide. And the tide of time is going to come wash away all of the things. And eventually, even Matthew McConaughey is going to be just a little footnote in the history books for people to look back on. It doesn't really matter. And, and I think people got so attached to, I'm going to build this giant statue of me and it'll be there forever. So what? Time's eventually going to erase all of that anyways. But really the true power then, the true transcendence is every once in a while we get to touch not only our future self, but our infinite self. Just that expression of love, that moment where we look in our wife's eyes and we're just like, you just feel that love swelling and you're not even there anymore. You are just the embodiment and the essence of something that's greater than you could ever be. And we get to touch those moments, you know, and feel what that's like. And that's, that's who we really are. That's the only monument we need to be is we're, we're love itself. You know, <laughs> you hear that quote, someone goes, uh, the, 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 Young man, young man goes 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 to his buddy and, and he's trying to find what's the meaning of life. 
and the, the, the guy he's talking to has a newborn, and the newborn's like, wah! He's like, what kind of stupid question is that, man? That's the meaning of life right there. You just had a newborn. Wait, wait, what's this existential questioning bullshit you're doing? The man just had a new child. <laughs> That's that time, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally, totally. It's in the cries and the laughs, and and that's uh, you know, that's living that life. You know, one of my greatest guide stars is the Lakota idea of Hoka. Hey, today is a good day to die. You can only say today is a good day to die when you've fucking lived, when you've really fucking lived, and you've loved, and you've done everything you could. And then if that bus comes and just comes out of nowhere, out of your blind spot, and takes you out, all right. Like I fucking live. Okay. Well, it's, it, you know, it's, we don't, and I'd say it's probably more Americans don't have, I don't think we have a, a healthy enough relationship with the concept of death. Some mm-hmm. people talk about it. They're like knocking on wood. And you're going, what are you doing that for? It's one thing <laughs> we can rely on. Well, I didn't, didn't, I didn't just say ooga booga. I just, we're going to die. I mean, can everyone just, and I say it with the kids. It's like, it's okay. We're going, it's going to happen. Yep. It's an impermanent life in the physical body that we live here. So to talk about death and not feel like, oh, it's a morose thing or, you know, what's that even, what's that? Kenny Chesney's got a great line about it. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Just nobody's in a rush to get there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so whatever, even believers don't like to talk about it. Um, I think we can get a, it, it, what you're saying is a, is a really good, valuable practice. No, re- realize that. Shake hands with the fact that you're going to leave this lifetime at some point. And you said it, when you go today's a day, I'm going to die. You don't shrivel up now. You actually go, woo, okay, well, let's get it on. <laughs> yes. You're living a lot more and harder and more, and more truly and, 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 and things mean more. Um, it's a really good place to get objective in, 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 in each one of our own, own life. You know, just, just, just try and consider it. And trying to grasp on, let the thought, some people have trouble keeping the thought even in their head for half a second or don't want to go there or feel like, oh, if I go there, I don't trust, I don't trust that I won't be seeking it. No, we're not, not, to to realize it doesn't mean you're going to seek it or be drawn to it more. Yeah, it's not that they want to die. It's just saying if today is the day, it's a good day. Blue zones, Dan Butner with Blue Zones has studied people who live the longest around the world. They're called centurions or centenarians, Mm -hmm. I think, yeah. And the common denominator that came out was none of them live longer because they tried to live longer. They live longer because they forgot to die. (laughs) Yeah, they were too busy enjoying life. And sometimes that meant smoking a cigarette. You know, there's a, I read a book about a lot of these that, you know, studied the biographies of them. They had, they did all kinds of different things. They ate different ways, but it was community. It was friendship. It was a feeling of not being alone. And it was the, this zest and this zeal for life where they just wanted to keep fucking lifting. Yeah. But they drank their wine. They smoked their cigarettes. You know, it's another thing they didn't wear. They didn't wear watches. Uh huh. And I, I think that's an interesting one because you're like, yeah, our concept of time and we race against time. We try to get, you don't have a concept of time. Think how much less stress you'd have. You gotta have a concept of time, but I mean, if you didn't have a watch, you're always checking or the schedule, or I'm supposed to do this at this time. There'd be a lot less stress. I'm all, I'm very interested in like, what are simple tools you can use to help? Like for instance, why, you know, if they say we're, they say we're getting too much sodium in our diet. Well, why are the salt shakers, why are the little salt packets have enough salt to go on 15 meals, but the pepper packets ain't enough to go on half of a meal? You know, 
or you want to lose weight? Okay, forget the diets. How about this? I'm going to steal all your forks and spoons and knives and you get one pair of chopsticks. <laughs> <laughs> you would lose weight, right? Because you're, e- you're eating slower. You're, you know. So what are these little ways where you can kind of re-engineer a situation? You know, no watches is a pretty good one for, for decreasing. I thought it reminds me when I was writing my book, Own the Day, which is all about these personal practices to help you, you know, achieve a lot of these physical goals, all the physical goals, really. I thought about that, what you're talking about with eating, because the amount of the speed at which you eat, how much you chew, you know, it really actually makes a dramatic impact on obesity when they do these, you know, longitudinal studies. And I was thinking, what if we made silverware that was like five pound fork, but it had one of those little crab cocktail forks at the end of it, you know? So it's this big old thing and it just had this little head on it and you just had to fight through with this little, you know, inconvenient tool, but it would make a huge impact if people just change that. Change the tool. Yeah. When I lost all that weight for Dallas Buyers Club, 47 pounds, I would eat tapo, tapioca pudding for breakfast. And I, and I was down in New Orleans, so I found one of those old antebellum uh, little sugar spoons. Yes. Because <laughs> I wanted it to last longer. <laughs> I'd, I'd make a little five-ounce thing of tapioca last 45 minutes. <laughs> one tapioca at a time. Uh, yeah, that's great, man. That's great. You know, one of the places, it's hard in this world to lose track of time. Our phones are always on us. We have schedules. I mean, one of the great places for me is when I've dropped into plant ceremonies and plant medicine ceremonies, and there you enter a timeless space that you don't dare bring your phone or your watch into one of these things. And you mentioned this in, in one of the, right at the start of your book, you said, and I, I actually referenced it at the start, you said, I've done peyote in Real de Catorce in Mexico in a cage with a mountain lion. But we didn't hear that story in the book. So if you could, if you could tell that story, I would love to hear what that, what that was like. Well, in talking about earlier, you know, where ooh, kiss the fire walk, walk away with some, where do we go places where there's not too many uh, sharp edges? I would say this, and I'm sure be, my guess is that you would comply and agree with this, but I did peyote the right way with the right shaman, which started at sunrise with a long walk up to the crest of a mountain. Mm. And it was slowly disseminated, kind of walk the dog, meaning I didn't do peyote at a rage party. <laughs> I went out into Mother Nature and it was sunrise and got to the top and, you know, the bees buzzing at all the all the daisies at the top of the hill sounded like Phil Spector's wall of sound. You know, you're, every, my senses are uh-huh. heightened, right? Well, we get back down around noon and um, I'm coming off the high, but I'm still, you know, those highs last months, if not lifetimes, if you're lucky. Um, but he, there's this mountain lion in this cage. And... You know, with or without peyote, I, 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 I fancy myself as a, as a man who can get along with certain mammals pretty well um, or get on their frequency. <laughs> I'm outside mm-hmm. the cage and, and, and I'm finding my voice's frequency to match this mountain lion's frequency. And I'm kind of just over there and I'm very relaxed. And he comes over, he's pacing the cage and slowly he comes over as I got my finger in the cage and he comes over and... <laughs> Paces some more, comes back, finally comes up and kind of gnaws on a little bit, but playfully, and then licks it. Now he's gotten very calm. There's a gate over here. I slowly moved, opened the gate, moved slowly, closed the gate behind me, slowly moved to the other side of the cage where I just sat down. 
Now he got a little uptight again. So he starts pacing back and forth and giving a few of those. And I'm just like, staying on his, staying on his frequency. He slowly paces forward, gets a little more comfortable. And about an hour and a half later, he comes up and finally engages and touches my hand and gives me a lick. Then he moved in, laid down next to me. And after about three hours, that son of a gun was purring in my lap. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. yeah, it was, a, um, you know, that was, I did not feel any danger at the time. Right. There was, I knew there was some fear. I mean, I knew there was, look, look, he was a mount, he was not a starving mountain lion. Okay. Right. You know, that, that's another thing. You don't want to. Well, you would have felt that though. You know, that's the thing. Like you were in resonance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was in the same resonance. Great word for it. I learned, I learned that in, 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 in Africa, you know, though you, I've crossed many, a many a river at neck height when the alligators are flooding right there in the wet season when they're well fed, but no way was I even going in that water ankle deep in the dry season when those son of a guns were just feverish looking for something to eat. You know what I mean? So the mountain lion was fed. Um, and I did not feel that I would, was going to be on his menu. And, and what a cool, what a cool reward to be able to interact with the frequency of an animal like that, you know, an apex predator. I mean, there's a reason why the jaguar or the mountain lion is at the top of the animal hierarchy in most of these traditions, because they were the fearless ones. And that's the estate, that's the state that we all aspire to being the apex predator, the fearless one. And like to be there with that animal uh, must have been a really fucking cool experience. Incredibly cool, yeah. Oh, I was, I was, uh, I was buzzing off of that and the whole morning for literally months. But you know, when you go through those times, you want to or you try to go. Okay, I crossed the truth here. Now, how do I preserve that? Mm. How do I remember this perspective? Uh, not that I'm going to. Not that I'm not. In my, not by meaning, oh, now I'm going to go try to be with every mountain lion. If I, no, the overall experience of the morning and the day and the peyote and the walk and nature and coming back, I was on frequency. So, you know, love it when those certain perspectives cross you at that time. You go, I can, I need to take this with me in back into the Coliseum of life mm. and try to be hearing and seeing the same way. And of course, they get stripped away along Granite. We got to. Head back out for another walkabout. Yeah. But, you know, um, try to preserve those for as, as much as possible for as long as possible. Yeah, man. So what is it, you know, this, it felt like a deep calling for you to write this book, to share this, you know, and to be the, have you, you know, Matthew, be the, be the hero of your own story and share that story with everybody. What is it that's, you know, firing you up now? What do you feel inspired or called to? Is there anything that's kind of, you know, got you, got you, got you inspired, got you filled with a little fire. Yeah. Um, the minister of culture work that I'm curating and, and, and working on right now, which started with the university of Texas and now I'm branching out into the, our great city of Austin, Texas. Bipartisan and non-denominational. It seems to me that values are the things that we can all agree on. A common denominator of values that help us with our identity, no matter if we sit on opposite sides of the aisle or on opposite pews of our beliefs. I think the things that we can, that will reconnect and to rebind our social contracts again, which are very broken 
right now. Not just yeah. an option, but I mean, in, as a people, United States. Um, I don't think, all right, we have, we've lost, we don't trust each other as much. We don't know what who to believe in. Uh, we don't have expectations that we can have for ourselves that we feel match with someone else unsaid. Um, and so Austin, the great city of Austin, which has a lot of soul, is obviously and has been going through an amazing growth spurt. And it's no longer a music university and government town. It's a music government university, tech, lawyer, banker, international destination. One of the fastest growing cities in the nation. We're most popular as well. And I want to, to share, have shared values, a shared and competent value campaign that reminds Austinites why we love Austin, why we love it here, and also educates and initiates the newcomer to say, hey, don't be coming here. Don't be coming here trying to turn here into why you left there. <laughs> right. This is who we are. This is a place, as Roy Spence says, where nobody's too good and nobody's good enough. Hey, let's pay the duty to the city that we love. Let's pay our tithe to it. Let's, have, let's spend conscious money. Let's create more art than we consume. Let's honor imagination. Let's keep sharing our Rolodexes with each other. Because here, we don't have to run over each other to get our blue ribbons. We can go do it. We can go get them both side by side. <laughs> Let's hold ourselves accountable to, to, to not solving every single problem we have, but to saying, hey, let's, let's, let's know when to forgive. And if somebody's seeking real retribution for something, let's do forgive them. Because Austin is a city of second chances. Austin is a city where all you really got to be is you. Don't come here trying to be anybody else or don't come here trying to act like what you think we are just be you and we'll try to work through it. So it's an, it's an aspirational uh, um, value campaign um, that caters to things. It's, it's Austin's lyrics is what I want to, what I want to mm. put out there. And in a very, you know, certain messaging, like there's, there's some of them are fun riddles, you know, like we're not a horn honking town. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Be cool ambiance in New York, but not around here. Let's not get in that habit. Let's be cool. Right. All right. So we got a traffic problem. Let's work through that. But I mean, we got to start blaring on the on the on the damn horn everywhere. It may be things like you know, as a music town, Austin. Follow your ears. You like what you see. <laughs> <laughs> things yeah. that are just put a smile on your face that say, "Oh, conscious money." What's that mean? Oh, okay. Ask not what Austin can do for you. Ask what you can do for Austin. Oh, we just put it on me. Okay. I'm going to look. Oh, that's right. I do love it here. And I've got to pay a little tithe and do a little work to, to maintain the village values that I love about this place while we embrace progress and become a great metropolis. Because we don't want to get caught looking in the mirror. Oh, look at us. Most popular. Woohoo. Let them all. Everyone come in. More socialites. Great. What's social? I do. I don't know, but bring them. No, I don't, you know what I mean? We don't want to get caught looking in the mirror because going, Look how great we are, which I don't think we're doing that, but we, we have to watch we don't. And we have to say, how can we grow forward and become things like, you know, a friend of a new friend of mine the other day said this, what if Austin became the B Corp capital planet? That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, you know? it would. Um, can Austin become a place where, you know, uh, has the highest 
rate of employee happiness. Can Austin uh, uh, become a place where that crime rate that's going up now drops back down? Can Austin become a place where the community has a, re- a healthy relationship again with the police force? Not them versus us, you know? Um, can we, for my money, get rid of the bad, bad eggs but not throw the whole thing out in, the, out in the garbage? We need the law and order. We know that. People need those guardrails and, and rules. We've got, got to have them. But it also, Austin celebrates our freedoms. But we know that our freedom in Austin, as the, especially as the blueberry and the tomato soup, we know we, they cost us something to get them. Mm-hmm. They ain't for free. And we need to reestablish those contracts with each other so we can then reestablish them with ourselves. And I believe, as we've been saying, it starts with you and me and each person to go look in the mirror and go, I'm going to be a little bit better today. I'm going to have a higher expectation of myself than someone else. I'm going to look somebody else in the eye so I can gather, gain a little bit more trust in them. And by looking them in the eye and maybe going over the other side of town where I don't go, I now kind of know them. I've looked in the eye. It's much harder for me to do harm. Now it's much harder for me not to consider them in my choices because I've looked them in the eye or met them. And Austin is a place, it can be a large metropolis city where we actually all feel like neighbors. And I think we do that through values. So that's what's turning me on. I, I love it, man. I love it because it's, <clears throat> I love Austin. It's been my home, as I said, for you know almost 25 years now. And But to have something that you can actually push into that feels like it's putting loving arms around the whole city and improving the whole city because i don't you know i don't really feel like government like through government is the way that this gets done a different law different policy this is culture and culture is not mandated culture comes from within my company of 190 employees like it's not because we have a culture mandate everybody's like oh the culture on it's great it's because everybody's living it it's everybody's being it and then there's you know that kind of as i said resonance and the vibration is just like all right we care about about this we love this thing we give people all the freedom but their love is what draws them to it it's not the draconian rules and the punch-in clocks and all of that it's like no we love this thing we want it to grow and we want it to be what it is always destined to be so i love that you're doing that man and as a you know a fellow resident of this this city if there's anything i can do i'm I'll, fucking I'll i'm up. fucking there i'm fucking I'll, there well I'll, I'll share i'll share a lot of i'm working right now and getting uh, and partnering with different startups in in austin that are going to help sort of uh partner up and fund the campaign to go out and and have the the ads around around austin uh via billboards via digital etc um and yeah austin's worth flying our flying our flag and, and 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 writing that headline and reminding ourselves who we are and who we can be and be, and growing can you know let's let's be the big Ten million. Let's become the ten million person metropolis that you go. That place is still Austin, not the ten million person metropolis where we look up fifteen years from now and go, "What the hell happened? Who are we? What are we?" Which happens to so many cities that grow so fast. They say yes to everything, and all of a sudden look up and go, "What? What we become?" You know. And then we become, we become the proof of concept for all the other cities to do the same. You know, and we do that. Leading light, man, That's on the it. globe. That's it. Leaders, because Austin does this. We have to watch um, Austin in our sort of lazy fair, sort of why it's so easy to get along with people. We have to watch, uh, I think, Sar, sometimes we are too indifferent. 
I think we can own our IP. I think as a city, we should own who we are and who we're becoming to say, let's plant our flag and let's lead. No, we've never been a city that looks outside of ourselves for someone else's approval. And we're not looking for that now, but let's become something that we can go. You want to see how to do it? Right here. Let's go. Let's go. You know, lead from the front. That's it. And all we can do, start at home. You know, like you want to you change something, just start right at home. That could be the self. That could be your city. That could be your neighborhood. That could be reaching out to your neighbors. That could be doing all those things. And hell, I could do a better job. My little, you know, my little neighborhood of, you know, 10 houses enough. I don't know nearly enough neighbors in here. But like doing all of those different steps to bring this community of our city, I think it's a, it's a beautiful concept. And uh, as I said, man, I'm all in. I'll be hitting you up. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, Matthew, man, uh, you've done the world just such a great service by telling this story. You didn't have to do this. You know, you didn't have to go tell all your tales and, and reveal everything about you, but you did it. And, you know, the ripples of that will be felt in the hearts and the minds and the consciousness of people uh, for a long fucking time. So just as somebody who's benefited from it, I just give you the utmost gratitude for everything you've done here, man. Man, thank you. It means a lot to me. Um, and thank you for sharing. I'm so glad you received it that way. And thanks for thanks for sharing that with me. And then thanks for spending the time here today to sit here and talk for however long we talked. I figured that the main problem would be what it is, finishing on time. Yeah. <laughs> the wizards are always on time. <laughs> All right, my brother. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Much love. Thanks for tuning into this podcast with Matthew McConaughey and I. Definitely check out his book, Green Lights. And also, I wanted to give you a heads up that pretty soon we have the Fit for Service Academy app that's releasing. So I'll be talking a lot more about this coming up. But just keep a heads up for this app because it's going to be fucking awesome. I love you guys and I'll see you next week.